The spirit of performance is what defines Acura. And now, it's electric. Introducing the ZDX, Acura's most powerful SUV yet. Crafted using the same formula that brought them electrified supercars and multiple IMSA championships, the ZDX has track-tested performance that packs an energy all its own. Unlock the energy and order yours at Acura.com. plus on their feet. Nobody's left to beat the traffic tonight, I guarantee you. Mark gets the sign. The wind and the pitch, here it is. Long, fly ball, deep left center. Grissom on the run. Yes, 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 yes. Hamlin, yes. 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 a brand new giving your championship. A 25 lighters on my dresser. Yes, sir. You know I've got to get paid. High five ball. Go to right center. Now get ready, this is the Platinum Sombrero Podcast with your hosts, Dylan Short and Adam Doc Herbert. Hey, TPS listeners, welcome to 2020. It is the Platinum Sombrero brought to you by Armchair Media and our friends at MyBookie. MyBookie.ag is the number one sports book in the world for anybody that likes to gamble online. Yes, you can go to Vegas and you can go to all of the fancy hoity-toity gambling casinos you know the ones i'm talking about ones like the bellagio or you can just sit at home in your pajamas and make money that way which quite honestly if i could sit at home in my pajamas and not do anything else ever i would uh especially right now when you got the national championship game coming up uh in just a few days or a couple weeks really the 13th you got basketball is starting to really kick into high gear you're getting closer and closer to march madness baseball season is not as far away as you may originally think all the best lines and prop bets are on mybookie.ag. Now, I don't know if you really want to be a degenerate enough to gamble on some of these after New Year's Eve bowl games, but if you are, I'm not going to judge you. My bookie's not going to judge you. And if you use our promo code armchair, they're going to give you a 100% deposit match up to $1,000, which means if your New Year's resolution is to be a better gambler, my bookie can help you out by giving you some free money. Just when you when you make your profile, when you initially deposit, You'll throw in the promo code off to the side there, and you'll just type in armchair, and there you go. My bookie likes to make it fun. They've got a very knowledgeable staff. They have the most prop bets on any gambling website, so if you like to do prop bets, my bookie is definitely for you. MyBookie.ag, play, win, and have a great time. Happy 2020, Doc. Hey, buddy. Happy 2020 to you, too. You have a uh, good Christmas, good New Year's. You got any uh, big news you'd like to share with everybody? <laughs> well, uh... It was a, a very special Christmas and New Year's. For those of you that uh, don't follow me on social media, uh, Doc's an uncle. Well, not yet. I will be an uncle soon. Yeah, uh, August uh, August 4th. So yes, um, Sarah and I are having it, are expecting. Um, I've been holding on to this since, uh, since 
what uh, Thanksgiving week. So it uh, feels good to be able to finally say it. Thank you to those of you that uh, that reached out to me on social media. Um, I originally was going to try to make sure that I responded to everybody. Um, and then it got to be like 3 o'clock in the morning. And I was like, all right, well, I'm going to give up on that. So uh, heartfelt thanks to everybody who uh, took the time to, to mention something to me. I'm very, very excited. Uh, I'm also very, very terrified. And... Um, I'm not quite sure uh not quite sure what to expect but very excited. No, this is awesome, man. I'm I'm so excited for both of you. I mean, it's it's scary, you know, it's it's a it's a long road and, you know, I've got some some baby books I can I can give to you <laughs> among <laughs> other things. So, yeah, congratulations you guys and um, you know, look forward to um teaching that kid to be a degenerate when he gets old enough. I'll be able to tell everybody what it's like to to raise the baseball goat. There you go. There you go. Mike Trout Short will be born August 4th of 2020. Whew, just feels weird to say that somebody's going to call me dad. Man, what a what a big change. Uh, no, no <laughs> we have not had the discussion what this means for the future of the Platinum Sombrero podcast. So, um, you know, when we inevitably have to replace Dylan as the host, you know, we'll we'll start um, accepting resumes <laughs> a couple couple weeks out from that. Resumes, resumes and or fight to the death videos. We're going to have to do like a talent show, um, swimsuit competition, all, all of that. So we'll get there. But enough about me. How was your New Year, Doc? Oh, it was good. It was really good. We um, we went over to some friend's house. I apparently drank too much whiskey too quickly. Um, after about 8.45, I'm just getting kind of snippets of the evening, but I allegedly had a good time and didn't make a total ass of myself, so that's fun. Um, it was good, you know, and... Uh, a lot of reflection time, you know, end of the end of the decade, everybody's doing all of their their lists and their all of their favorite stuff that happened. So I've been mentally raking through my brain trying to, you know, carve out what happened the last decade. And I ended my decade just like I started. And that was looking for a ride. <laughs> yeah. Oh, when I, I was uh, New Year's Eve 2009 going on to 2010, I was wandering around Miami looking for a cab. And uh, New Year's Eve 2019, I was sitting at my friend's house just waiting for the Uber to, to pick us up. So <laughs> uh, strange bit of symmetry there, but it was good, man. It's, um, and glad to get some work done. I blinked. I stopped paying attention on, to how far away baseball is. And really it's like six weeks away now. Spring yeah. training is like right around the corner. And that's the best news. I didn't even notice that until you brought it up in our show sheet. I, I was, I keep thinking of it as being, you know, three months away, but really it's a month and a half, which, Hey, I'm fine with that. I am ready for some baseball. I am ready for I'm ready for some resolution to come to this offseason, which we'll get to in just a second. Uh, but you did mention that it is the it is a brand new decade, which is always kind of fun uh, for somebody who was born in 1980. Now you've gone through the 80s, the 90s, the 2000s, 2010s, and now the 2020s. That's what like five different decades. I didn't count, but that sounds about right. Yeah. Uh, two new or two millenniums that you're in there. Mm-hmm. We're now officially closer to 1990 or 2050 than we are to 1990. That's a weird piece of perspective right there. It really is. And, you know, LeBron James just turned 35 and I'm older than that. But for some reason, that particular thing, like I remember when he came out of high school and signed that contract with Nike before he even set foot on a court. And now for LeBron to be like getting up to retirement age, I'm like, oh, my God, his son <laughs> is playing in high school. Well, I mean, and even from the baseball realm, you start looking, I mean, the Blue Jays in particular, where it's like son of Vlad Guerrero, the son of Dante Bichette, you know, um, it's son of Craig Biggio. 
see, yeah, seeing the sons of of the the guys that that we grew up watching, seeing them now is like, oh my god, I'm gonna be dead soon. <laughs> oh, I'm dying. Yeah. So it's um it's interesting, man. Like if when you're looking back on on the last decade, you know, there this is obviously we're I feel like the Braves are in a much better position now. Uh, going into the 2020s than they were when they went in the 2010s. They still had a really good farm system, but now, you know, they they endured all of the losing and they they built up all of the prospects. So I feel like the future is brighter now than it was 10 years ago. But if you're like looking back on on the 10s, like what what do you remember most? Like what stands out to you most of the last decade? That's a really good question. If you're just talking to me from a baseball aspect of it, I would probably say the 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 quick rise in analytics and how quickly the thought processes of baseball changed and how quickly everybody else started to adopt them when like one team had success with it. And it just kind of shows you what a copycat league professional sports are that if something works, everybody's going to try it. Um, But really the analytics thing you could even say is more of like a five to six year surge. But if you go all the way back to, 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 2000 and 2010 or 2010 I would be hard pressed to tell you how many teams were actually using these types of of advanced metrics at all and now the only teams that don't use advanced metrics are the worst teams in baseball and the Orioles are just starting to use their analytics now Uh, I think really Kansas City might be the only team left who's not really using analytics it really is. That's a really interesting thing that you bring up. Like I, I was looking at individual events, you know, but just the way we view the sport and analyze the sport has completely changed. That's it's kind of crazy. Like exit velocity and WABA and batting average. Slugging. I mean, 2010, if you saw somebody who hit three, you that hit 337 and had an OBP of about, you know, three, 340, 350, you wouldn't have thought anything about it. Nowadays, if you see a guy whose OBP is only 20 points higher than his average, you talk about what a limited offensive player that he's that he's basically full of shallow stats. Which that's totally new. You know, up till even a couple years ago, that was like the predominant stat. And now there's 15, 20 different stats I look at before I really start taking into account batting average. At or least. if I just happen to know what the average is, I'm just like, okay, well, we have there's there's more behind the curtain. And we have the ability now. It's not just front offices that are doing this. You know, I've got multiple tabs open on my computer right now where I can go to fan graphs and I can look at the line drive rate. I can go to baseball savant and and look at, you know, what was his barrel percentage for like and all these different things. And trying to explain that to the version of me that existed 10 years ago is kind of a dicey proposition. I'm not sure that I would want to even do that. Oh, but this is luck. this is where we are now. I was I was still playing at this time at the beginning of the the previous decade. I was still playing. Good luck telling me any of that stuff. You you weren't stopping to analyze your sprint speed or outs above average or anything. Oh no, my my whole thought was uh, I don't want to get out at all ever. I also don't want to walk. <laughs> so you were one of those guys with the with the OBP that was twenty points higher than the batting average. Yeah, basically that yeah. would that would be yeah. me. No, and I want those to earn it. Hit by pitch. Yeah, swinging out a three zero just so I don't have to walk. That's interesting. I feel like I feel like that should have been my answer. So now it is. You don't even have to, to ask me the question because I'm totally I mean, stealing your answer. If you just want to talk about like individual things, as a Braves fan, obviously you're going to notice a few more. But there were there were a few other 
before we even get into the Braves things, I mean, the Astros winning the World Series, um, especially because SI predicted it when they predicted it. The Cubs winning a World Series for the first time in 107 years. I mean, the Red Sox breaking the curse. There was a lot going on, man. Baseball came a long way. And I know there's a lot of people that uh, that think that baseball's dying and Rob Manfred might be a spy trying to destroy baseball. I'm not entirely sure about that yet. But it was a good decade for baseball. There's a lot of good stuff that went on. And uh, sure, there's a lot of stuff that was very annoying, especially if you're a Braves fan and having to sit through a rebuild. Um, but for the most part, baseball as a whole, some really, really good storylines in the 2010s. When I think back on this decade from a league-wide perspective, the thing – I remember I was watching the Toronto-Texas game when Jose Bautista – Where he got punched in the face? There was that. <laughs> there was there was that. I'm thinking more in terms of the bat flip, but um, Odor slugging Batista in the face was a, was a pretty memorable one too. But I remember watching that playoff game and just seeing like the entire – that place went absolutely berserk. I mean, bat flips are so in vogue now. It's, you know, let the kids play and, and all of that. So they really weren't before that moment with Batista though. That's kind of what kicked it all off. And that was so exaggerated because, I mean, he just straight up threw his bat back in the dugout and he just kind of pimped it for his – I mean, that's like – that's a super memorable thing. So that that was kind of like a, a watermark moment for the decade too as far as like inspiring there to be more and more. And now now they're just everywhere. You know, it's it's second nature to kind of pimp it a little bit when you hit a home run. And uh, But, yeah, that really stands out for me. And speaking of pimping home runs, Ronald Acuna um, – Hitting the Grand Slam in the NLDS in 2018 was like, I was in there, it was it was pandemonium. But when I think about him, and after the whole thing with Jose Arana getting plunked, and then seeing him later this year, and hitting the home run to right field, and carrying, just carrying his bat all the way down the first baseline, that was some pretty um, epic level trolling. I really enjoyed that's, that particular That's moment. the one I think of, because he broke their stadium. He had a really good year against the Marlins, including doing some damage to their house. He hit the ball so hard it broke their stadium. And it's not like he did it on like a line drive foul ball. He hit it 440 feet or something and still dented the place. That's insane. Yeah, that was a that was a big one. I, I'm really looking forward to seeing him against the Marlins for the next or for the foreseeable future. Yeah, for the next 20 years. But that's also fun because you know Sarah and I were at Doc's house when that happened too. So. He got to see. We were there for that, and then we were there for the Ozzy Albies Grand Slam, off of uh, off of Urania. That one. That one was Nick Anderson. Or Nick that Anderson. Was like Nick Anderson. You're right. Forty percent of the runs that Anderson gave up all year was on that one yeah. swing. Yeah. Now there were some other really cool moments for me from, as a Braves fan. I don't know where this would stick out for a lot of you guys, but uh, Soroka's first start, where he took on Jacob Degrom. And went out there and outdueled Jacob Degrom over, I think it was seven innings. He gave up two runs, maybe struck out nine. Just looked completely in command from the moment that he came out there. Uh, that that was one of the bigger moments for me. I mean, I could bring up a couple others, but as far as the 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 ones that really stick out for me, obviously there's Chipper retiring and the way that that happened. Uh, I could not have pictured a worse way for Chipper to go out than the way that he did. Um, but, you know, 19 years is, is, well, is a long time to be playing. Uh, unfortunately, not all the memories are always great memories. Um, I'm always going to be upset that that's the way that Chipper went out. But, you know, 
can't have everything end up storybook all the time. Yeah, when you play that long, there's bound to be some level of of letdown for possibility. But it can't always be like. Doesn't okay. it just feel wrong though to know that his last play was an error? It's not what you want. And, and the weirdest thing for me is that he's been retired for seven years at this point. You know, when you when you think back to as significant as Chipper was, as significant as Bobby was, both of those guys ended their tenure within the last decade. You know, so. The, that loop of Hall of Famers, of Maddox, Glavin, Smoltz, um, Bobby, and Chipper, they're all, they're all gone. They were so significant for, for the longest time, and now nobody's, nobody's still playing. Nobody's even still around. So, um, You want to know what else irrationally bothers me about Chipper's career? Yeah. Yeah, tell me. 19 seasons. Oh, that he didn't make it a 20th? Yes, that bothers me so much. Matt Jones, if you're listening, you tell your father to come out of retirement for one year so he can round it to 20. Please. <laughs> I wonder how Chipper can do if he showed up now. He could probably still... He might not be, be able right. to catch... He might not be able to catch up to 98 anymore. I mean, I, would I want... Yeah, I'd still do it. It's Chipper Jones, man. He could come out at like 70 years old, tell me he wants to play again, and I'd be fine with it. We do need a third baseman. Right, that's the that's the real uh, what what do you call it the the real uh, hidden player going on. That's that's the behind the scenes move. Yeah, the Braves are the mystery team who is in on who is in on Chipper right now. But I mean, there were a couple other big moments, I guess, in the decade. It, it gets kind of hard for me to think about the early decade when the rebuild kind of took so much focus and it kind of totally shifted the way that I viewed baseball because I really wasn't a big prospect guy before the rebuild. I mean, granted, I was kind of more focused on my own career at the time uh, and, and trying to be one of those prospects to really pay attention to what a lot of them were doing. Uh, but it really took the rebuild for me to to really start to dig into them. I mean, we lost Angleton Simmons, which is still going to hurt my heart forever. Um, and once Angleton Simmons was gone, that was kind of like, really, all right, well, I got to find some new people to root for. So I really started digging into the prospects. I'm like, all right, let's see how some of these guys are doing, some of these young guys at least. And uh, thus, a whole new annoying situation for me was born. And now you guys all have to listen to me talk about why trading Joey Wentz was bad and why Christian Pache is going to be the next superstar. I had, I had the same type of kind of renaissance for how I – from kind of my role with looking at all of these things. Same, you know – prospects were totally for, I mean, you hear about the big ones, you know, everybody knew about Jason Hayward when he was coming up at the beginning of the decade. But once all of the losing started happening, there wasn't much reason to watch, you know, John Cornley and Donnie Veal and Alberto Cayaspo. We're getting and, the names that I've, I've not, sh that I've somehow blocked completely out of my memory. Yeah. Like I remember, uh, Eric Stultz was, was, um, was a starter. At one point, you know, there were so many different names that just kind of came and went. So it's like, if you want any level of good baseball, you got to pay attention to the minors. I got into the, doing the draft stuff a lot <clears throat> within the last decade. I remember watching that 2015 draft and when they got Colby Allard, when they got Soroka and Riley, and that kind of really started that long, long road of the rebuilding. And so like in 2016, 2017, when everything just went in the toilet, you know, you could turn on a Mississippi game and, you know, Ozzy Albies is going to do something here. Or, you know, even when it's some of the guys that didn't pan out. Like, I loved Tyrell Jenkins. I used to love to watch him pitch. You know, we'd go, you know, 
Cool Ray Field is right down the road. Go and watch watch Jenkins pitch on my birthday instead of watching the Braves get slaughtered by anybody. Tyrell Jenkins at one point was the number three player in our farm system. Yeah. That may have been overstating things just a tad on him. But, uh, you know, he was kind of a cautionary tale, you know, and and that the deal that he came over in wound up being – one of the more significant deals in, I don't want to say franchise history, but it was pretty significant, um, especially for architecting the team now, because it got Shelby, who they wound up trading for Dansby Ender and Aaron Blair. Speaking of which, I was huge Aaron Blair fan. I was convinced at one point he was going to be more valuable than either Dansby or Ender. That did not Ooh. come true. <laughs> also, fun side note, Tyrell Jenkins was traded for Luke Jackson. Love him or hate him. That trade... That's another branch on that trade tree. But yeah, so like I've, I'm just like you. I started paying way too much attention to prospects, got really, really into, into all of that. And now that there's been like a full cycle of all these guys, like all the, the guys from the 2015, 2016 drafts are like up in, the, up in the high minors now. And now that the big league team is good again, I haven't been paying as much attention to the minors. I still pay attention to it, but like... Um, as the team looks like it's going to sustain some success for a little while, I'm very curious to know how the next decade is going to go as far as my relationship with prospects. So 10 years from now, TPS episode, uh, you know, 655 or whatever it's going to be, we'll analyze that statement I just made. Yeah, I mean, that's 10 years from now, we'll be talking about something totally different. But as of today, the Braves do have some some worries, I guess. I don't know how worried you are about them, but there's still some concerns, uh, still some things that kind of puzzle me a little bit. The number one thing is Josh Donaldson still being on the market. Uh, we didn't do an episode last week, mostly because we still didn't have anything to break down for you. Uh, but one of these things that's kind of bugging me about it is supposedly the Braves have upped their offer on Josh Donaldson to four years now. Um, my My problem with believing that is Supposedly, that was the only holdup before. Um, if it's true that they've offered four years, why hasn't he accepted the deal then? Is he starting to think that maybe he can get five years? And is this going to be the eternal push? Or is it just a false report that somebody told Jim Bowden and he went on TV with it? Um, it's not like we haven't seen guys propagate rumors and, and be wrong before. Um, but really, it was just Bowden who's the only person that said that four years was on the table. Now, usually Bowden is fairly reliable. He's not going to actively go out there and try to 12-up you. Um, but it is kind of odd that that supposedly the only holdup was Josh waiting for the Braves to offer for a fourth year. Now, and if, if he hasn't accepted yet, I don't know if they've offered a fourth year, if they tried to make that fourth year an option year or what. But we're getting to the point now where you've got six weeks to spring, to spring training. This JD situation needs to uh, need needs to settle itself in a hurry. So different from last offseason because he signed like right around Thanksgiving, and there were gaping holes on the team, but third base was not one of them. Now this offseason, they've filled a lot of those gaping holes, but third base is like one of the few remaining ones. And Bowden came out and said the Braves have offered a fourth year. And as of this morning, Mark Feinsand has also come out and said the same thing. Now, I don't know if he's using Bowden as his source or Bowden's source as his source. But so apparently the Twins, who are my American League side piece, and I, if he's not going to come here, going to Minnesota would be fine. 
uh, the Twins, the Braves, and the Nationals are the three three big teams. Like the Dodgers aren't being mentioned as much anymore. The Rangers have kind of fallen back in things. So the Braves are still in it. But fifth year, if you're Josh Donaldson and you've got everybody saying, okay, we'll all go to a fourth year, you kind of reset. And you say, well, what about a fifth year? I would take lower average annual value for the extra year. So, but if you do that, and I'm kind of repeating myself to you because I know that we talked about this beforehand, but if you're looking at a deal for like four years and $112 million, $28 million a year, if you're Donaldson, to just kind of squeeze a little bit of extra money out of that, could you say, if you go a fifth year, I'll take way lower average annual value. I'll, I would be willing to go five for 120. You know, so you're saving four million dollars a year on average. Maybe you front load. Maybe, maybe, maybe this is just what he and his agent are trying to do here. So, I don't know. It, and maybe he's agreed to come back to the Braves and now they're just working out the money or something like that. Say, we'll go four years and now we'll figure out how exactly to sequence all of this. So until he signs with somebody else, the deal is not dead. But it, I I can't decide whether this is a good thing or a bad thing that that it still isn't resolved yet. I go back and forth like every couple of seconds. Where are you? I'm going to be quite frank here. I don't want to give Donaldson four years, much less five. And Donaldson is an amazing player, had an amazing season. I'm not one of these guys who's trying to tell you that he wasn't all that good. He was your second best player last year. And it was pretty easy to tell what he meant to this team, not even just with his on-field contributions, but what he what he brought to this team as far as an attitude and an expectation of of victory, an expectation of performance, is something that the Braves have kind of lacked. And you know, some people might take this as me taking a shot at Freddie, um, but he's never Freddie's not that same type of guy that Donaldson is. I think Freddie ultimately is more of a complementary piece. Like uh, I'm talking about as far as leadership in the locker room here. I think Freddie might ultimately be one of those guys that is a perfect number two, not really in the Chipper Jones vein. Now, I say that knowing full well that Chipper and Freddie are like best friends. Uh, I just don't think that's really Freddie's personality. I think he's he's a guy that he, he doesn't like being that guy that has to go around and be super intense all the time. He loves being able to be happy and hug around and jump around with everybody. Uh, and, and sometimes from your from your team leader, or your team captain, or whatever, you need them to kind of lay into some people. Uh, Donaldson certainly has no issues doing that. Um, I, I think that that's probably. I think to me, that's probably the the toughest thing to replace. Now, I know five wars, five wars is a big deal. It's a hard thing to replace as well. Um, but really, any of the of the major options that are being discussed with the Braves, whether it's Chris Bryant, Nolan Arenado, or a Josh Donaldson reunion. Basically, all three of those guys are good for about four and a half to five war anyway. So the big difference between them, variable could be the kind of attitude that Donaldson brings around. He brings a chippiness and an intensity that the Braves just kind of, nobody else on the roster really has. Like, Donaldson is that guy, like the Braves are a very, very, I guess, an intense team. I don't know if the intense is the right word, but they're a very hyper team. They're very excitable they're they're very built on momentum and cheering each other on but with Donaldson it's kind of a different vibe like with Donaldson that vibe is we're gonna do good because I'm gonna do good uh and it would not be a surprise like if you're trying to figure out like what member of the Braves would actually fight somebody 
that list kind of begins and ends with like Josh Donaldson and maybe Tyler Flowers. That's a good point. When we were uh, we were discussing the differences between Marcelo Zuna and Nick Marcakis and uh, using the yogurt analogy, and Marcakis <laughs> being plain Greek yogurt and Ozuna being passion fruit, similar thing to Freddie and Donaldson. Donaldson is passion fruit yogurt. Freddie is plain vanilla. Great, great player. Do not get me wrong. I, w- right. I wouldn't call Freddie plain vanilla. I would call Freddie like a honey flavor. You know, there's there's a lot of sweetness in there, but there's no no real bite, no real tang. If you know what I mean. <laughs> this analogy keeps growing legs. That's that's really good, actually. Um, but Sorry, I've been mean, watching it, Kitchen Nightmares. Yeah, I mean, it's not it's not to say that that, that Freddie isn't a really really good player, but you're right. He he is not he is not chipper. Donaldson is the closest thing this team has had to chipper since chipper. So obviously, does mean a lot there. There are other options though. I mean, like you said, Bryant Arenado. I'm still holding out for my Matt Chapman deal for all, all of the uh, all of the <laughs> prospects, which it's not going to happen. I know, but uh, but you know they have been pretty candid about if we can't make this work, then we might fill this fill this lineup hole with an outfielder. So we and we have to kind of look at that as being real. Like I said, until he signs with somebody else, this is on the table. But maybe he does wind up going to Minnesota, so or Washington, which would be way worse. But when you start looking at combinations for how to fill that production, okay, so you can fill it with an outfielder, and then you still have somebody who's going to have to fill that hole at third base. So you're not just looking at Donaldson versus his replacement, especially if they're filling it with a different position. You have to look at, like, let's say what Donaldson and Marcakis are going to do in 2020 versus if they fill that hole with Marcelo Zuna or Nick Castellanos plus whatever... Riley or Camargo are going to wind up doing. So you have to look at those combinations because they could wind up offsetting. People, I mean, I talk a whole bunch of smack about Nick Marcakis. I really do actually like the guy. It's just because he's he's kind of low-hanging fruit in, in on this team as far as criticism goes. Um, we can also talk about Tyler Flowers' defense if you guys want to. But he and Donaldson together are going to combine for like six more this year or five and a half. And you have to look at it and say, is Ozuna slash Riley or Castellano slash Camargo, will they post that that same mark as well? Because if you're dividing and conquering, that almost might be just as good of a method because you're looking at consistency across the lineup instead of putting all your eggs in one basket. Took a really long roundabout way of saying, what's the best combination for you? Is it Donaldson Marcakis? Is it Ozuna and Riley, what if you're architecting this lineup for 2020, where do you go at this point in time? Free reign. They say I can pick what I want to do, or, or is it just with an existing lineup? Well, I mean, there's gonna have to be some some hole, somebody to fill that hole for the for the four okay. spot. So you I can mean, if you can were, pretty if, much go. Money is a concern. <laughs> you have to be somewhat realistic. Okay. If it were up to me, uh it would be a Marcelo Zuna signing and then a trade for Bryant. Uh, you still keep most of your prospect capital in that way. You're not if you get if you get Marcelo Zuna, you're not going to be able to afford Donaldson or Arenado. Um, but I would bring in Bryant over Riley or Camargo anyway because I know what Bryant can do when he's healthy. And when he's healthy, he's an MVP. Um, you can point to his defense if you'd like. I don't really care. Um, third base is not a premium defensive position. People can say that it is. It's not. Um, we we think of it when you talk about guys like Matt Chapman and Nolan Arenado. But there's a reason why the defensive gap after those two is so large. 
Um, it's not like first base where they're just going to stick you because you can't really catch a baseball or move. Um, but it, it's not it's not the same type of premium position as say shortstop or center field or right field or catcher. It, it's dead in the middle of fielding importance. And if your fielding is not going to be superb, your bat is more important at third base than your defense, um, especially for this lineup. Everybody kind of knows. I mean, there, there's still some people trying to hang on to the defense wins championships things, but it's just not true anymore. Offense wins them. That's why the teams that end up winning are teams that put up a ton of runs. Now, you can talk about pitching if you have a staff full of aces. Um, I would suggest that you maybe consider that having a staff full of aces is not exactly realistic. There's a couple of teams that have them. Uh, but it's most certainly not the norm. So if it were me, I would be bringing in like a Marcelo Zuna and trading for a Chris Bryant. But if I have to just do what you're talking about, where it's sign one player and, and mix and match outside of that, I would prefer Ozuna to Castellanos. Um, I've never been as high on Castellanos as a lot of people. I mean, he's he's consistent. I'll give him that. He's basically going to be worth anywhere from two and a half to three war, but he's never had a season over three war. He's only had one season right at three war. It's very odd. And we if you look at his stack cast, he doesn't hit the ball exceptionally hard. His exit velocity is completely average. Um, I would be more comfortable projecting a return to 2017 offensive form for Marcelo Zuna. Defensively, probably not. His shoulders probably his arm is probably gone from the shoulder surgery. It's most certainly not as strong as it was. He's still young enough to where it could recover. But the arm is probably not going to get back to where it was. So his defense will take a slight hit. I do think he's a better defender than what people thought that they saw in St. Louis last year. Um, I, I think when he was with Miami, he was a very good defender. I think he can be that again. I think that's fair. And and the shoulder injury has been a, a big thing about his defense. It's because of the arm. And like we talked about before, people tend to remember him making some bonehead plays. It still only but, counts as one, but it stands out. Let me also point out, I don't care if my left fielder has a strong arm. Do you guys remember Ron Gant? I, I remember Ron Gant, yes. Do you remember the fact that Ron Gant couldn't throw from midway in left field to second base without hopping twice? Actually, no. <laughs> I'm going to have to take your word on it. But, um, I mean, it, it's not everything. You know, d- part of the reason why, why I think we have to drill down on this, like, we, you can, we kind of talked about this before, about being able to analyze things in different ways. And we are in this hyper analytical mode where we can, we can beat up any player for any reason because we have access to all of this data. And also partially because Alex Anthopoulos has been very, very clear. We are going to build around defense defense. We're not going to only build around defense, but when you're looking at attractive outfield options, neither Ozuna or Castellanos is really, really just checking that box, you know, like you can put a warm body out there. And for the most part, that'll probably be fine. And Castellanos, I feel like because he's played less outfield than Ozuna has, I feel like he's going to continue to get a little bit better because he's a third baseman by trade, a really bad third baseman by trade. Um, I think that when you start looking at the war, you start looking at F war, it dings Castellanos. Like his bat is legit. You know exactly what you're going to get from him. He's, he's pretty much the prototypical four hole hitter. You do bring up a really good point about Ozuna's um, exit velocities and all of his expected stats. I mean, they're the, the sliders on uh, baseball savant. They're all the way in the red. Um, 
he also fills that hole. But for me, like of all of the optimal configurations, I think Cassianos and Camargo might be the most palatable for me. Just, I don't know, you're, you got to be so careful of small sample sizes. But I really liked what I saw from Camargo once he came back from Gwinnett. And it tells me, it tells me that he's still really open to tweaks and open to br- taking his swing back to nothing and just kind of rebuilding it and saying, this is what you were doing when you were really successful. You need to get back into doing this. 12 plate appearances is not nearly big enough to make a determination on someone's long-term future, but he looked different. You can, you in particular can see things that I don't see because I didn't play. You'll notice subtle little things in the way that somebody will hold their hands, uh, the openness of their stance, just little things like that. And so I lean on you, for a lot of things like that. But when Camargo came back, it was stark, even to me, when I'm just like, he looks relaxed. It was a huge difference. Huge, huge difference in his swing. And it did look to pay dividends. And I know I know the Braves are very confident that they did fix what was wrong, that it was more of a timing issue from the fact that he wasn't getting playing time. And it just kind of spiraled because he wasn't able to get consistent timing. So when he went back down to the minors, they kind of tweaked that leg kick a little bit kind of tweaked his overall stance and where he held his hand so that he could get to timing a little bit faster and not have to basically guess fastball all the time uh, and, and get hosed on off-speed pitches. I mean, it's they, they, de- they definitely think it's sustainable. The question is, I mean, if you're not going to roll him out as a starter, can you trust Brian Snicker to actually platoon? I mean, he's, he's already shown you last year that he doesn't like doing it. You're already counting on him platooning Nick Marcakis. Do you want to trust... Snicker having to effectively platoon two positions. There might need to be some type of talk that's had, you know, because last year that was that was supposed to be the plan. And part of it had to do with the fact that Camargo didn't really play well when he was given the opportunity. And then after a certain point, it's like, okay, this is just how we're going to roll things out for now. Some of it was circumstantial. Some of it might be methodical. That might just be how it works from now on. But... 2018 was a big eye-opener for what Camargo can do uh, when he gets that regular time. And, you know, Riley, once again, in a very small sample, he proved that he is more than capable of crushing when he's on. But he spent a lot of last year being off. So when you look at the track record, I I take Camargo over Riley. I mean, Riley spent about four times as much time off as he was on. And I believe me, guys, before you get mad at me for saying this, believe me, I'm fully aware of what Austin Riley has done in the past in the minor leagues as far as his adjustments. I'm fully aware of the fact that Riley usually starts out slow and then makes adjustments. Um, What a lot of people are not wanting to be willing to admit here is that he has never struggled that badly. And the major leagues are a lot harder to adjust to than Mississippi or high a Florida or even Gwinnett It's very, very different. Uh, and there are some other stats involved, even when Riley was having his breakout that are not things that are sustainable. Like if you go back and look at him again, realize that he was not walking at all when he came up, that he was just mashing everything and everything was going out of the ballpark, but he wasn't really doing anything else. That's what we talk about when we talk about Jeff Francoeur. And as much as we all love Frenchie, that's why when you look at Jeff Francoeur's rookie year, you looked at stuff and should have been thinking, hmm, not quite sure that's sustainable. It's the same thing with Riley. Can he turn it around? Absolutely he can. Should you be expecting it or... (laughs) or as I've seen some other people saying, 
uh, wanting to roll into the season with him as the starter. I'm not going to tell you what you should or shouldn't think, but I'll just tell you um, I would not be counting on an adjustment until I saw it with my own eyes. The Braves are the Braves are in a win now position. The, the Braves are too good of a team to roll into the 2020 season with the NL East as good as it's about to be with a World Series on their mind or at least just winning a freaking playoff series to have a complete question mark at third base and to have the resources to have basically whatever third baseman you want and to not use them because you think that Austin Riley will adjust when you haven't seen him adjust yet. To me, that would be that would be very bad. That would be that'd be very disappointing. Yeah, they, they need to be battle ready. And even if Camargo's track record isn't that much longer than Riley's, it is longer. And I would put more stock in that. And plus, you know, he's He's a switch hitter, and he he functions in many different uh, places in that lineup too, as opposed to to Riley. So, just just an opinion. I would I would go Castellanos Camargo, but I mean, it's not like I'd be mad if like Ozuna showed up. You know what I mean? Or or if I mean, they wind up striking a trade for my God, I've been trying to get the Braves Starling Marte. Starling Marte for, <laughs> for the problem. The problem with the trade that way is if you don't trade for a four hole bat, you're still left in the same position with no cleanup hitter, unless you want to move Ozzy to clean up. That is probably much more palatable of an idea for me than it is for other people. Yeah, you think they'd actually do that? Or you think Snicker would take the excuse again to move Acuna back to cleanup if there's no other cleanup option? How can I put this? Ozzy might appear to be too short to be a cleanup hitter. He might set the record for being the shortest cleanup hitter ever. Chris Davis. What's up? Chris Davis. Oakland Chris Davis. Well... Is Ozzy taller than Chris Davis? No. Okay. Oakland Chris Davis is five foot nine. He's basically this, Oakland's Chris Davis is essentially the same size as Trey Harris. Huh. Well, that certainly gives me hope for Trey Harris. You know, the, I I still think they're gonna fill the hole. They're good. They're gonna do something. The top of the lineup just worked too good. It worked too good to break the band up. You know, like I I think all these would be fine. I think he would be fine as a cleanup hitter if that didn't mean you're compromising the two spot. And if Camargo shows up and he really just is crushing it, and but you don't feel like that he's built for cleanup, and you want to, you know, you want to put Camargo in the two spot, and then Ozzy, you know, there's it's such a long season. I mean, something like that might even wind up happening. Who who knows? But they're gonna do something. Like you said, they're they're trying to go for a World Series here. It's probably they're got to be getting the feeling of like World Series or bust to a, certain, have to, to a certain degree. You're you're. You have to do it while you're not paying these guys a lot of money. I mean, right. Otherwise, you're going to run out of money to fill other holes. That's why I would be very disappointed if the Braves just end up bringing back Donaldson and end up rolling into the season with the same exact position group and the only improvements were made to the bullpen. I would be very disappointed. I think you're selling Travis Darno short, at least a little. I mean, how much are you expecting Darno to play? Uh, more than Flowers. Okay, but are you expecting him to play... 50% of the games, 70% of the games, you expecting him to get 400 at-bats? I'd say probably two-thirds of the games as a as a starter and then being a last or worst-case scenario pinch-hitting option so they don't wind up burning their other catcher for the rest of those games. You're going to be relying on something that Travis Darno has not done very much to his career then? No, no doubt, no doubt. I mean, and, and I mean, <laughs> please do not misinterpret what I... Like, 
don't uh, take what I said as me saying like he is the savior. He's not. If they roll into the season with Travis Darno as their cleanup hitter, well, we'll see you guys in a wild card game. My my problem with that is Darno's had 400 at bats one time in his career. Hmm. And that was his. That was like his first full season with the Mets. Now in the minor leagues, he hit 400 twice. He had a 540 and a 466, but. It was really uh, 2014. He had 421 abs. Aside from that, his next highest was 20 uh, was actually last year with 391, which that's you know that's 103 games. That's pretty close to what you're expecting. What you're expecting. The question is, I mean, there's a lot of 200 and something uh, at plate appearance games here too. Darno has not been the best at staying healthy over the course of his career, and when he's in the lineup, that's fine. I've got no problems with Darno. I thought I thought it was a good signing. I mean, I would have preferred, you know, one of these more elite type catchers, but there's not many of those around in baseball. And so if you weren't going to pay that type of money for Yasmani Grandal, or I, you guys all know I wanted to trade for Wilson Contreras, but if you weren't willing to give up the prospects to get Contreras, Darno was not a bad option at all. He's going to be better than what Brian McCann was for you a season ago, as long as he stays healthy. It's just not good that I have to say as long as he stays healthy. That is kind of the game with catchers. And, and you know, McCann, McCann was just kind of old. You know what I mean? We love him, but how many times can you watch somebody hit a clear double off the wall and and have it be a single? I mean, he, he doesn't have the knees to hang anymore. He Obviously, he freaking retired right after the season was over. So, you know, it's a common theme for catchers is not being, like, mega durable, which is what makes guys like Yachty, even if he's not producing the fact that, for the most part, he's just going to be out there. It it speaks a lot about about the durability there. Screw so, him forever. Well, most, most teams are going to have to have this level. You can't just have, like, your primary, like, for first base. You know, you have your primary first baseman, and then you've got your backup guy. You can't do that quite as much as with catchers, because it's like things just happen. Things are, you know, they're squatting for several hours, and up and down, and up and, you know, all, all the different things that they wind up having to do. So, you have to have some level of pl- built-in platoon situation. And you can do a lot worse than Tyler Flowers, as far as being your uh, your 1B in this in this scenario. Mm. But once it, well, we're still looking at Sixth place, seventh place hitters, eighth place hitters. In, in some yeah. cases, it still doesn't solve the problem of the middle of the order. You're right, right. They Which is, by the and, way, it's the offense that really lets you down in the playoffs. We right. can talk about the bullpen not being able to hold on to the leads, and we can talk about game five and giving up ten runs in the first inning. But really, it's the fact that your offense couldn't close out game four, couldn't get you game three either, like or game one. Like the, it was the offense that cost you in that series. The fact that Acuna, Dansby. Aussie to some extent, but really Acuna was Acuna and Duvall. I'll say were the only two that were superb. Dansby was pretty was really good too. Uh, Aussie was okay, but your main veterans, the guys you're supposed to be relying on, were horrendous, and that's what cost you. I mean, yes, we can talk about if Chris Martin hadn't gotten hurt, would the season would the series have gone differently? Maybe, but I mean, you had a runner on third with nobody out in Game Four. And you couldn't hit the ball anywhere to drive him in. And that would have won you the game. That would have won you the series. Your offense just came up short. So that's why I get a little nervous if you try to sell me on, we're going to bring back the exact same offensive unit minus McCann and add Fla- and uh, add Darno. To me, that that's not a significant enough upgrade. Doc, you and I talked about it during the season last year. I was worried about the Braves offensively heading into the playoffs anyway. I mean, there's... 
it was more Marcakis for me during the season last year. I did not think that Donaldson would have a bad division series like he did. I certainly didn't bank on Freddie being as bad as he was. Um, but that's just not something that I would feel comfortable going into the season. Now, I'm not Alex Anthopoulos. I'm not out there making deals and trying to bring proposals for free agents to come here. I don't know what's being said. I don't know what's being offered. I mean, for all I know, Alex could have like 60 offers on the table for different people. Um, but as far as I'm aware of, there's not much of that going on right now. But that's enough droning on. We have spent a lot of time on this segment, uh, and I don't want to be too Debbie Downer on our first episode of the year. So we're going to take a quick break, and when we come back, we're going to switch gears, and we're going to switch up to the Hall of Fame. That's not going to be a Debbie Downer for every for anybody, right? That's going to be the happiest thing in the world. When we come back, we're going to talk about our own personal ballots for the Hall of Fame. Maybe, maybe a couple other announcements here we'll get to uh, when we come back right here on the Platinum Sombrero. Welcome back to episode 96 of the Platinum Sombrero, ladies and gentlemen. Before we dive into our Hall of Fame talk, Doc here just wanted to give you a quick rundown on a couple things about Blue Chew. It's 2020 now, people are resolving to fix themselves in all kinds of fun ways. And there might be some dudes out there whose resolutions include a promise to themselves about finally addressing their erectile dysfunction. Most people, likely including yourself, enjoy a little whoopee from time to time, and when the moment hits, you need to be ready to pounce, much like a jungle cat or someone on a pogo stick. And the best way to ensure that you don't let down your boo is to prepare yourself with a mouthful of Blue Chew. Blue Chew is the number one erectile dysfunction tablet on the market. You'll be able to go from approximately quarter-mast to obnoxiously full-mast. And if time is of the essence, you've got no time to waste, your lover wants a quickie in the grocery store restroom or on a short flight from Atlanta to Charlotte, whatever, you can be ready. Just chew it, it works twice as fast as the other ED pills out there, and you'll be able to bang out your boo before they even finish drink service. Go to BlueChew.com, use our promo code ARMCHAIR for a package of Blue Chew to be delivered to your door for just five bucks. Just five bucks. Five dollars for a chubby. You can't beat that. Actually, you know what? Maybe you can. Whatever you do after you take it is up to you. But 2020, resolve to get your boners back with Blue Chew. Okay, so at the end of the last segment, Dylan... Hold on, hold on, hold on. Um, I'm just kind of marinating in that read here for <laughs> a second. This is brand new me, dude. I'm uh, getting I mean, a little more brash with the reads. The only thing that it was missing was uh, chew it and do it. Oh, did we redo it? No. Chew it and redo it? No. Okay, we'll just roll no. with it. <laughs> I hope there's still a sponsor. We haven't heard from the network in weeks. Um, so, so coming out of the last segment, Dylan hinted that we would be talking a little bit about the uh, about the Hall of Fame ballots. It's that it's that time of year. Based on kind of the way that the pace of the free agent market has gone, it seemed the offseason has been interesting. There's been like a lot of news, so time is going really fast. It makes things seem like really stark when nothing when nothing is happening. But we're to the point now where Hall of Fame ballots are going to wind up uh, having to be submitted. If they haven't been submitted by mail already, then, you know, Ryan Thibodeau, who is doing the, the Hall of Fame tracker, has done a really good job of keeping everything current and letting everybody know kind of where the the current, um, what's the word I'm looking for, the, the people that may or, may or may not wind up in the Hall of Fame, how everybody is doing. It's interesting seeing some some of these guys and looking back on their careers 
two or three weeks ago, we did an episode where Dylan um, asked whether or not he could go on, on a rant, uh, which he did, uh, very admirably so. And I would like to now uh, inspire you to go on another rant, this time being why you would never vote for Omar Vizquel for the Hall of Fame. I'll see you guys in 15 minutes. Go. Well, where to begin here? Um, Doc and I were talking about this before the show. Now, granted, if you run into me on the street, there's about a 35% chance that I will just talk to you about why Omar Vizquel doesn't belong in the Hall of Fame. Um, do I hate Omar Vizquel? Yeah, a little bit. Um, did I hate him before the Hall of Fame thing? No, I didn't. This Omar Vizquel to the Hall of Fame discussion is the dumbest thing I've ever seen. I mean, it has no basis in anything statistical. Uh, when you look at statistics, oh, well, he's got a bunch of hits. It's because he played 23 seasons. I mean, if you look at this dude's career and what he did over the course of time that he did it, it's not impressive. 13, or what was it? What did I say? 13 of his... 13, 13 out of 24, of his, he did not get to two war. Yeah, 13 of 23, he did not make it to two war. That is ridiculously bad. Like This is a guy that you're trying to tell me is one of the best of all time, and now I know what you're saying. Oh, well, you know, there's things like you got to be good at defense too. Yeah, um, apparently not. Otherwise, Andrew Jones would have been in the Hall of Fame already. Andrew Jones, who will go down most likely as the best defender of all time as it stands right now as far as DRS and defensive war are stated. Uh, a wider gap between Andrew and Willie Mays than Willie Mays and basically anybody else. Um, it's It's... Really stupid, and I understand that Vizquel is big for the Latino community. I fully understand that. Uh, if you don't know, or if you think that I'm just saying something here, talk to somebody who's been involved in baseball for a while and talk to them about Omar Vizquel. He is a he is a cultural hero, and I'm not disputing that he's not a great guy, but we've got a lot of great guys that don't make it in the Hall of Fame. The fact that anybody that can vote for Omar Vizquel and does not vote for, for Andrew Jones or Scott Rowland they're only doing it because they like Omar Vizquel. That is not what your Hall of Fame voters are supposed to do. You've got guys like Barry Bonds who you could say, oh, the steroids he doesn't deserve to be in. You've got guys like Kurt Schilling who it's completely ideological differences. You can't look at Kurt Schilling and say that he didn't deserve to go into the Hall of Fame based on the merits of his play, who Doc and I were also looking at and had like three straight seasons where he went eight war, eight war, and nine war. Um, had really one of the greatest five-year runs I've ever seen of any pitcher ever. But... You're, you're looking at a guy like Vizquel, and he didn't hit for a high average. There's a couple years where he stole bases, but overall, nothing special stealing bases. Didn't have any power. He was a good defender, but there was a lot of negative defensive years in there as well. I mean, it's not like you're looking at Cal Ripken. I mean, maybe Omar kind of gets helped by the fact that there weren't a lot of great shortstops during his generation of players. And he spanned a long time. 23 years is a long time. You shouldn't be rewarded for longevity, though, when the results were mediocre at best. And that that's ultimately my problem with Omar Vizquel. I mean, he he, he just does not deserve to go. If you could I, I did I did this last year when I was mapping out, like somebody kept trying to talk about how many hits he had. Like, oh well, yeah, I had a bunch of hits. Yeah, well, he averaged like 120 hits a season, uh, which is not not impressive. Um, nothing he did was really impressive. He'd make a few impressive plays. His defense when he was young was very impressive. But if you're telling me that, then Angelton Simmons is going to be a first ballot Hall of Famer. And Doc, you and I both love Angelton. Would you vote for him on the first ballot? I would not. 
I wouldn't either, especially if I can only pick 10 people. If I have a limit on who I can pick, and I love Anderson more than maybe any other person besides his parents or his significant other in the world. Like any Braves fan, I challenge you to try to tell me that you like Anderson more than me. You're wrong. Uh, but he's not a first ballot Hall of Famer, and Omar Vizquel is not a Hall of Famer, period. There is something to be said for the durability. You know, playing for 23 years, that that's impressive. And and one thing that I, I do think gets lost is something that, that you brought up. Like, you have to look at what else was going on in the sport the rest of the time. You know, Jeter was was one of the, the guys that when Vizquel was still playing, and Nomar Garcia-Para... Um, but, but you're right, you know, there weren't a ton of elite shortstops back then. And he wasn't necessarily elite. He just happened to be pretty good. And when you look at the rest of the league, he, he was pretty good too. And he played on some great Indians teams. So a lot of people were watching Jim Tomey, uh, Manny Ramirez, Carlos Baerga, guys that were, you know, Tomey's in the Hall of Fame. Manny's case, we'll talk about it here coming up pretty soon. Baerga was absolutely solid. And there were some other great guys on that team too. But so when you tune in to watch the Indians, by you're watching Vizquel when you're watching all of these other superstar guys, and it's easy to kind of loop them in. Similar to somebody like um, Andy Pettit. Andy Pettit was great, but part of the reason why I think he's so appreciated was because he was on all of those Yankees championship teams for the longest time, and then went to Houston and was pretty pretty fantastic there too. So, Can I make one more point on Vizquel that I think will finally put the death knell on this Vizquel to the Hall of Fame talk? Yes, by all means. Doc, would you vote for Jay Moyer? To be in the Hall of Fame? Uh, strictly ironically. For the same reason I would vote to put Billy Idol in the Music Hall of Fame. You hush your mouth about Billy Idol. I love Billy Idol. Um, are you aware that Jamie Moyer has a higher career war than Omar Vizquel? Well, part of that is because Jamie F-war, Moyer pitched until he was way. like 65. Jamie Moyer played 26 seasons. Omar <laughs> Vizquel played 23. Oh my god. Jamie Moyer was a pitcher. Yeah. Which, (laughs) consequently, means you should lose the war battle with a position player who played a comparable number of seasons. If you would not vote Jamie Moyer into the Hall of Fame as any... Jamie Moyer would not vote himself into the Hall of Fame. Let me put it that way. Um, Then there's no possible reason that you can tell me Omar Vizquel deserves to be there. The only thing you could bring up would be guys that are in the Hall of Fame that don't deserve to be there, like Luis Aparicio. Harold Baines. Bill Mazeroski. So you're obviously pretty anti-Vizquel. Who would you vote for? This is such a tricky ballot. We are entering such a weird era of players to analyze. And- really are. And the voters, by the way, the voters themselves, the BBWAA voters, they're starting to change a little bit. You're starting to get a younger crowd of voters start to come in a little bit as the older guys are starting to get phased out. So you're starting to see some really stark differences on ballots. Like you've got these random weirdos that think that they have to be make some sort of statement and only vote for Derek Jeter as if Derek Jeter deserves to go in on his own and nobody else should go in the same class as Jeter, which is just patently foolish and shows you just how easy it is to spread a false narrative. I'm not saying that Jeter doesn't deserve to be first ballot because he does, but this idea that Jeter is like one of the best players period of all time, that he deserves something that no other hall of famers gotten. It's actually, it's, it's completely ridiculous. Um, He was bigger than his talent. Jeter was. And, but that he's not supposed to be for the hall of fame. Like that's kind of the point for the hall of fame. Right. Yeah. Well, and that, that also gets into the shilling thing, the image, the off the field. 
Yeah. Exactly. Where the shilling thing, you can't even point to like, oh, well, he beat his wife or he got a bunch of DUIs. No, it's ideological differences. It's theological, ideological, whatever. You want to say that, that that's really all it is. And you can say that you think he's a jerk. I personally, I think he's a, I think he's a bit of a douchebag too. Not really a bit of one. I think he's quite a bit of a douchebag. But and he, and he doesn't care. He, no. I've never seen anybody who is so willing to just Dude, he's thrown away more jobs than I'll ever hope to have in the in this business and no just throws them away because eh, whatever. It's Kurt Schilling. I mean, he's got millions of dollars anyway, but he's great at what he does. He's he was great at what he did. I thought he was a good commentator too. As much as everybody will try to say that they that he sucked, it's really just because they don't like him. Um he he's he certainly deserves to be in the Hall of Fame. Uh, as far as my ballot, this might have been the toughest ballot for me. We were we were struggling trying to figure out full uh, full disclosure. I was trying to find a way to fit Sammy Sosa into my ballot, and I just can't do it. I now fair warning: this is going to trigger a lot of you people. Um, I am I I do not care about guys who took steroids uh, because ninety percent of the league was taking steroids. Uh, it was a level playing field. Whether you want to say that you appreciate the the level that they were on or not, it was a level playing field. Baseball knew about it. Technically, it wasn't even illegal for like until like ninety five. I mean, it wasn't even really illegal illegal until then. They didn't really test for it. And even when they quote unquote tested for it, they really didn't publish them or anything. It would depend on what you were taking. Um, so guys like McGuire, I would have put in already. Um, as far as my ten. I mean, some of these are, are pretty easy names. Some of these are, are not quite as easy. But I've got Barry Bonds, obviously. And this is going to hit close to home for Atlanta fans. But I'm sorry, Hank Aaron is not the greatest home run hitter of all time. It is Barry Bonds. Um, Barry Bonds, as of right now, today, as of January 2nd, 2020, Barry Bonds is the greatest player to ever play baseball. Um, now, Roberto Clemente, if he hadn't tragically died, might have had that thrown. Willie Mays, you could argue. Um, Mike Trout, certainly, if he continues on this on this path. If Mike Trout continues on this path and he plays the same amount of years as Barry Bonds, Trout will surpass him. But at this point, it's still a little too soon to just say that Trout will definitively beat out 175 F4 over the course of a career. Um, it's weird enough that he's on pace to do it. But uh, I've got Barry Bonds. I've got Roger Clemens. Again, I know, um, not a great person, but one of the greatest pitchers ever. Uh, spanning a bunch of different teams in a bunch of different time frames, and he was great with all of them. Um, and if I'm already voting for for guys that have juiced and things like that, Gary Sheffield is definitely getting in on my ballot. Uh, such a different type of hitter. Just a different sound off his bat. I've never seen anybody hit the ball as hard as Gary Sheffield. Um, you know, there, there's a few. Like, I will say I told you already, Derek Jeter's a, a first ballot guy for me. Uh, he's certainly not... I don't think he's the cream of this crop. I would have him probably fifth or sixth on this ballot, just looking at, at just talent on the ballot. Um, Kurt Schilling is on mine as well. Uh, then we got into the, the areas. Uh, Larry Walker, uh, who finally will get in this year. It's about time. He's deserved it for a while. But then we get into the harder, the the more difficult selections. And yes, Braves fans, you guys know that I'm picking Andrew. Um, it's pretty simple. People point to Andrew's career and about how short his peak was as if that's a reason to keep him out of the Hall of Fame. When, to me, it actually makes his numbers even more impressive. Because if you try to tell me that Andrew was only good for seven years, you realize he hit like 434 homers and has over 1,200 RBIs, has over 150 stolen bases, is the best defender of all time. 
And you're telling me that he did that in seven years? So, yeah, you can tell me the peak was too short, but he did more in those six or seven years than guys like Vizquel did in their entire career. I mean, that's the fact that he's pulling at like 23% is ridiculous to me, especially when Vizquel is pulling at like 47. Um, I've also got Scott Rowland on there because Scott Rowland, another guy who's one of these all around behemoth type players, he struggled with health for a lot during his career. Uh, but when Scott Rowland was around, there weren't other, there weren't many other third basemen who were as good offensively and defensively as Scott Rowland. He didn't really have a weakness, uh, and he was an absolute. Just somebody who got to watch a lot of Scott Rowland, he was an absolute terror to go against because every at bat was an annoyingly tough at bat. He would make these crazy diving plays at least once a game and, and just rip your heart out. Um, I've got Andy Pettit on there as well. I think uh, Andy Pettit's numbers deserve them. I mean, he's had he had quite a few really really good seasons. Um, Pettit is certainly not Roger Clemens or anything like that, but I do think Pettit deserves to go in. Then came for the toughest one for me. And I wanted so badly to put Sammy Sosa on this list because Sammy Sosa has over 600 home runs. I don't know if a lot of people understand that. There are multiple, multiple years of Sammy Sosa's career where he stole more than 30 bases. Sammy Sosa was a, was a legit player, but I had to go with Manny over Sammy because... Manny was just a different type of hitter. And Manny Ramirez was uh, one of the most prolific hitters ever. And basically only doing that because he uh, was one of the worst fielders ever. You, I think you could make a case that Ramirez and Sosa are... They're pretty of, similar. Yeah, they're kind of interchangeable. But for some reason, Sosa was in my just missed and I didn't really have much problem putting Manny on here. You know what I mean? Like, he just, it just seems different. And that, that is like the biggest cop-out. It's, it just seems different. Like what Bonds and Clemens and Sheffield and Ramirez, this era of anti-heroes that were like voting guys in from, for some reason, Sosa seemed like the biggest villain. And, and we were just talking about, you can't have it be about well, it's, that. It's probably because he got, he was roiding up and he had a corked bat, which, well, which that might strikes a lot of people the wrong way. But I mean, it's not like, uh, what's his name from the Reds wasn't doing both. I mean, it's not like Albert Bell wasn't doing both. Everybody I mean, knows the Albert Bell story. It was juiced to the gills, had a corked bat. They like they legitimately sent one of his teammates up into like the air the air vent to try to sneak the the corked bat out of the locked room. If you if you haven't heard the story, if you haven't heard the story, please Google it. It is one of the it is one of the funniest stories, one of the funniest baseball stories of all time. I don't know what it is that really, really separates these two other than just a little bit of perception between Manny and Sosa. And I'm with you about steroid era players. You look at what was going on in the rest of the league. And I've said for the longest time there were like six players from that era that didn't juice. Like Chipper, Tony Gwynn, Ozzie Smith, Cal Ripken, uh, Kirby Puckett, and like Raphael Belliard. I would love. I would love to. Think, I don't know. Maybe that's how he got his one home run. I know. I would love to think that Belliard was just roided out of his mind, and he still couldn't hit. Um, but like the, this is such a tricky area, and and you're right. Like it wasn't illegal for the longest time, and when they were doing this, like they baseball needed steroids to bring the love back to the game. Like I remember the summer of '98, the McGuire versus Sosa, the chase and everything, and then Bonds um, chasing Aaron and. There's there's just so much that comes with it. Steroids do a lot of things for you, but there's a lot that they don't do. And 
Barry Bonds was the best baseball player I ever saw, you know, and, and not just the best overall, but like the best hitter too. And I just mentioned Tony Gwynn. Gwynn. Ask Chipper. Chipper will tell you that Barry Bonds is the greatest hitter of all time. And, and you would be hard pressed to, to prove that differently. And, and if anybody's out there that wants to make the argument that Barry Bonds does not belong in the Hall of Fame, I feel you. I get it. I certainly understand the point of view to where I don't know if, like, oh, it compromises the integrity of the Hall. I don't know about any of that. But if you think that this guy was cheating and he was automatic disqualification, okay, fine. I'll allow that. But half of my ballot was steroid users. I got Bonds. I got Clemens. I've got Manny Ramirez. I've got Gary Sheffield. Right off the top. And those guys, they still have to have the hand-eye coordination to do these things. And they're just freakish athletes otherwise. You know, like all like Barry Bonds. Look at Barry Bonds in 1989. Or like any other time with the Pirates before he went to San Francisco. He was a freak even then. And I don't think that he was juicing the whole time. Only for, you know, once he started hitting 60, 70 home runs a year. Which, that's a lot. But he still had to do it. 763, even if you're cheating, that's a lot. Or have 762. But for the rest of my ballot, I have Derek Jeter. Who, like you said, I don't think he's necessarily meant to be unanimous. Um, but certainly a first ballot guy. And now that Mariano Rivera kind of broke the dam as being the first unanimous, then I think you're going to start seeing more of it. I still can't believe King Griffey Jr. and Greg Maddox did not get in unanimous, but... That is a conversation for another episode. I also have Andrew Jones on this list. Um, Scott Rowland, like you said, he was really, really impressive on both sides of the ball. Like there were people when Riley, Austin Riley was coming up that were just throwing Scott Rowland comps on him. Like, I don't know if you quite realize what that entails. Like Scott Rowland in 2004, like when he had that... Um, Nine more season when it was like uh, he's playing with the Cardinals with uh, Jim Edmonds and Albert Pujols. I mean, that was a dangerous, dangerous team that they had. And he was like the cog right in the middle of it. You know, he giving solid defense over at third and also had a uh, OPS of like a thousand that year. He had 34 or something. God, just amazing, amazingly impressive. And even for somebody who was a division rival, because he spent the first couple of his years with the, with the Phillies, that's somebody that I should hate. Like, I hate Lenny Dykstra. You know, I hate Mitch Williams. I don't hate John Cruck, but I should. Because all of these guys played for the Phillies and, you know, when the Braves were making their run in the early 90s. So, Roland definitely gets in for me. Kurt Schilling, regardless of what you think about his politics, the dude, you know, we, we throw around the term, oh, this dude's got ice in his veins or whatever. Nobody has had more ice in their veins than Kurt Schilling ever. That guy, and when the playoffs rolled around, like, Maddox was great. Glavin, Smoltz, whatever, give me Kurt Schilling. That is the guy that I want on the mound if I'm in winner-take-all game seven of a World Series. And it's not just because of the bloody sock. I remember when he was part of that 2001 Diamondbacks rotation with him and Randy Johnson, and they that would have been four straight uh, World Series titles for the Yankees, the Derek Jeter and Andy Pettit Yankees, um, if the Diamondbacks hadn't won in 2001. And I'm pretty sure Clemens was on that 2001 Yankees team as well. Um, I also had Larry Walker and... Billy Wagner, if you're going to let in Mariano Rivera, you're going to let in Lee Smith, you start to get into elite-level closers. I think you can make a case that Craig Kimbrell, as long as he doesn't totally implode for the rest of his career, if the rest of his career doesn't look like his 2019, Kimbrell would have an outside shot because in his prime, he was the most elite of relievers. And Wagner is Trevor Hoffman-level elite closer. 
and Hoffman's in, Rivera's in, Lee Smith is in, I think you have to put Billy Wagner in. So, so that's my 10. See, that's one of those that I didn't even consider because I've got this built-in bias on relievers. Some of them really are good enough to get in. Yeah, I mean, like Mariano Rivera and, you know, Craig Kimbrell when his time is is available to, to go into the Hall of Fame. But it, it, it I guess it's supposed to be a level playing field across the board, but it's really not. If you're a reliever, there is so much more that you have to do for to me, to for me, for me personally, to get my vote to go into the Hall of Fame over a position player or a starter, because your job is so much easier. You do have much there's much more of a premium on when you have to perform. I mean, you know? it's like the Edgar Martinez thing for me. Like don't get me wrong, Edgar Martinez is one of the most prolific hitters ever, but there's a reason why his worst season was the season where he had to play defense, too. You could kind of see towards the end of um, the end of his time on the ballot when he was gaining 60, 70 votes per year. Like, in the first couple of years, and this, this kind of gives me hope for Andrew, is for the first couple of years, Martinez wasn't really getting a lot of attention. And then once you start digging into the analytics, what he was really able to do as a hitter. It's very rare that somebody, you know, we also talked about uh, Castellanos and Ozuna, like guys that can, whose offense completely transcends their defense or their, in some cases, their inability to defend properly. That's an impressive thing. You know, DH has been the saving grace of a lot of different guys' careers. Edgar Martinez among them. And, um, but yeah, it does, it does put a premium. You don't get to, to make up in the field for, for what happens at the plate. You know, if you're just at the plate, that is how your legacy goes. Same thing with a reliever. You just happen to have a day where you got a tight game, but your curve's not curving, your slider's not sliding, then things can go sideways in a hurry. But for somebody who is that consistently able to stand up and perform and be that elite level, and yeah, the fact that he played for the Braves is probably in my subconscious a little bit. But Billy Wagner belongs in the Hall of Fame with the rest of those elite relievers. I would say that if you're going to let Lee Smith be in there, then Billy, then Billy Wagner deserves it too. I'm not voting him in on this one just because I don't have enough room. But I could be convinced that Wagner belongs. He, when I start looking at my just missed guys, because I had, I had Sosa on my just missed, I had Todd Helton on my just missed, and Jeff Kent, who, if you want to talk about what the rest of the league was doing, he was... <laughs> Take a look at Jeff Kent's power numbers as a second baseman. Oh my god. I didn't didn't quite realize it was it was like that till we started digging into this. But the dude hit 290 with a 856 OPS for his career, 377 career home runs, and only had one season under uh, league average production. That was his last season, and he was two percent below league average. I mean, Jeff Kent has a real shot. He should he should have a better shot than he's getting. I hope he gets. He like might a, be uh, one of the, he might want to be one of these veterans era ballots, one of these veterans committee. Yeah, or maybe like uh, the way that uh, Ryan Spader, the at the ace of Spader, um, when he kind of spearheaded the Tim Raines thing from a couple years ago, and Raines got in. I think that for some of these guys, like Andrew or like somebody like Kent, it would take that type of full court press, and you've got like it becomes somebody's purpose for a couple of months to to be pushing all of these out, so the voters are going to see it and say, "Oh my God, maybe maybe this guy is a lot better than I had realized." So I think that that's where some of these guys start getting in. So Wagner makes it this year. In a different year, he might not make it. He he would be my my number ten for sure. I mean, I would still vote Sosa over Wagner just because I've got a built-in bias on relievers. But I, I mean, it's your it's yours, and you didn't vote for Omar Vizquel, so I can't you know I can't yell at you. Man, I um, thought about it. 
uh, and I he was still had Andrew in there. Off right. He still had Andrew in there, so so you're good to go. Uh, but that's not the only thing we do. Got to be ending this episode here soon, as uh, unfortunately some of us have work to do today. Um, but before we do, we do have time for one last announcement and talk. We're finally going to get back to some of our roots here soon. We finally got something fun that uh, we haven't done in, man, it feels like probably six months. It's been a long time. You know, we we talked a lot about prospects in, in 2018, uh, the first year that we did the show. And, and this past year, there was so much uh, intrigue and hype surrounding the big league club. We didn't focus on it nearly as much. And it was kind of a weird year for some of the some of the prospects. So um, we are going to get back to doing a prospect episode here uh, really soon. And I just found out that I'm going to be part of uh, Talking Chops uh, top 30 prospects list of this year. So get to join some of the elite guys over there. Our, uh, our very good friend, Garab Vidak, uh, Garrett Spain, Eric Cole, Matt Powers. Um, and Aaron Houston, Sparhawk, lest we forget the Sparhawk. So um, going to be a lot of prospects on the brain. I'm going to try and turn my focus back towards that a little bit this year. I, I can't guarantee I'm going to wind up doing nearly the draft prep I've done in previous years, but, uh, yep, we're going to, well, I told you I've already got some, uh, I've already got some players earmarked for the draft. Can I, um, can I send you the spreadsheet template and you can just fill it in this year? That would be awesome. No, I will have a very pregnant wife by the time that the MLB draft is rolling around. Well, if she ever gets to a point where she's on bed rest, send me your email. I'll send her the spreadsheet instead. <laughs> yeah, that'll. Uh, I'm, I'm excited to do that. Now, it's almost a good thing that we didn't talk too many prospects this year with the way that things kind of went out for them. But uh, it, it will be fun to get back to some of those prospect episodes. If you guys have a prospect that you want us to discuss in particular, make sure you let us know. And that's aside from guys like Pache and Waters and Ian Anderson, who we're obviously going to talk about. I'm talking about if you've got somebody who's not really on one of your on one of the main lists, somebody who doesn't get a lot of the love all the time. Uh, make sure you send us his name, and, and we will for sure talk about him as well. Uh, we we've done that with a few guys. You know, we don't have a great track record of the Braves keeping the prospects that come on this show, but uh, we we certainly have fun with them. Still got Patrick Weigel. That's right, friend of the program. Patrick Weigel still a Brave, and we're just waiting for him to have that first big league pitch. Before we invite him back on the show. I'm telling you, dude, if if they finally, if the Braves finally make this big prospect trade that we're all expecting, if Patrick Weigel gets traded, I'm literally going to cry. I like the guy, and it's not so much that, like, you know, I'm not, like, that emotionally invested in it. Just, just damn it, man. <laughs> can we can <laughs> right. we get somebody to stay with the team? We lost Bruce Zimmerman. We had talked to Jared James before he came on, and, you know, and then in between when we asked him to come on and then when he came on, he wasn't with the organization anymore. Justin Dean, you're not going anywhere. You're staying. You're one of us now. <laughs> somebody put Justin on lockdown. Yeah, I mean, we got to be careful. We, we can't invite any more players on, unless you're a player and you're listening. Uh, Matt Hartman, if you're listening, come on. <laughs> right. No, we just need to bring Drew Waters on. Do you have an email on that? <laughs> right. Oh, man. Yeah, that'll be a lot of fun. Um, I know that I'm already going to be scrounging the, scrounging the list to try to find some guys that haven't gotten enough love, so we'll do that. Uh, all that coming up in the coming weeks. As we find a try, we're going to have some fun shows here uh, before we get into spring training. Uh, we get to see what Waters and Pache can do with the spring training reps. So for those of you out there today who missed us last week, we are so terribly sorry that we didn't get you an episode last week. But get to start the new year off right. Hope you guys enjoyed this episode. Thank you guys so much. And again, thank you to everybody who uh, 
gave me their their congratulations on the baby announcement. And Doc, thank you as always, sir. It's another year, another year for the show to grow, and uh, looking forward to being number one again. Yeah, man. Um, once again, congratulations to you and to uh, and to Sarah. Really, uh, really, just so so happy for you guys. And uh, like I said, we we have some stuff for you guys. <laughs> so we will see you in person soon. And uh, this is going to yeah, be a really gonna good year for, for TPS, I think. Uh, it's always a great year for TPS. This year's going to be the banner year. There you go. This is our make it or break it year. We're we're World Series or bust this year. And unlike the Braves, we will not disappoint in the first round. Well, let's hope not anyway. And, you know, we are two for two. Both of the years that we've done the show, Braves have won the division. So we're going to have to go a little bit harder this year if we want them to uh, to make it to the World Series. But I have seen in the last week two different publications uh, come out saying that the Braves will make it to the World Series this year. And both of them said that the Braves would lose to the Yankees in six. But, hey. <laughs> I've also seen the Braves winning. SI.com has the Braves winning in 2021. So there you go. See? It's a happy ending. Yeah. Leaving you with a happy note, guys. Thank you guys so much again. Uh, we'll be back next week right here on the Platinum Sombrero. Thank you.